We have three key scriptures today, and that's from Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Romans 8, 28, and Psalm 119, verses 68. That's Genesis 50, verse 20, Romans 8, 28, Psalm 119, verse 68. And I'm going to start with Genesis 50 and verse 20. As for you, what you intended against me for evil, God intended for good. In order to accomplish a day like this, to preserve the lives of many people. Romans 8.28 And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Psalm 119 verse 68 You are good and do only good. Amen. It is the experience of life for believers that all things work together for good. It is the experience of those who trust in the Lord through the good and the bad times that whatever was intended for evil, God intended for their good and that God turns it around for their good and in their favor. Believers have come to know and experience that God is always good. Hallelujah. We believe those three key scriptures that I just read. Believers are those who hold fast to the Lord and they understand that if the current situation isn't good, then it isn't the end. Hallelujah. If what you are facing right now, that relationship, that situation in your job, um, that situation with your children, you know, your financial situation, maybe it's even in the area of your health. But if that situation is looking bad right now, if that situation is looking terrible right now, I want you to know it is not the end. Amen. That situation and how terrible it is, that is not the final word. No, no, no. If it is not good, it is not the end. It means that God is still at work in your situation. So don't lose heart and don't be discouraged right now. Keep on trusting in the Lord. Keep on hoping in Him. Keep on following Him. And you will see that what was intended for evil, God intends for good. And good is going to come out of it in the end in Jesus' almighty name. Even now, look back on your life. And you'll see the things that you thought were disasters. The things that, that you looked at and you thought, this is the end for me. You'll see how God intervened and how he worked all things out for your good. The things that you thought were disappointments, and maybe even now you've dealt with some disappointments in life. Those very things, I want you to know that as you continue to follow the Lord, God is going to work it out and a greater blessing is going to come forth for you in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. But often, we still ask, why do these bad things happen? If God is good, and if God is loving, why does He allow evil and suffering and tragedy in my life and in this world? Why does it exist? There are illnesses, there's abuse, 
There's broken relationships. There's betrayal. There is sorrow, injuries, disappointment, heartache, crime, death. And all of these leave tragedy in their wake. I'm sure you can think of an example today. Maybe you're even currently facing one of these. But if God is good, why does he allow it? This is an age-old question. It's not something new. It's been around since the Old Testament, since the time of Job. You can go read the, the writers in Psalms were asking the same question. And it's even relevant today. In the 20th century, we witnessed two world wars, and that was devastating. There was the Holocaust. There were genocides in Africa, in the Soviet Union, in China. There were famines, and we know in Africa there have been famines. People were killed in those killing fields of Cambodia. Then we had AIDS and all these diseases that have just come about for which there are no cures. There was the genocide in Rwanda, ethnic cleansing in Kosovo. And when you look at the 21st century, it didn't start any better. We all remember 9-11 and the Syrian slaughters, the war that has been going on in Iraq for however many years. And even if you look in our own country, if you look in your own city, maybe even in your own neighborhood, the high rate of crime, unemployment, the violence, the far murders, the women and children and people just being kidnapped and never being seen again. You know, this is what's happening. And of course, we have the COVID pandemic. Why does God allow this to happen? Maybe you're in a situation where you've never asked that question. You've never asked why is the world infected with pain and with suffering? You will when it strikes you or when a loved one gets taken away. But there's something I want you to know today that God is not surprised at the suffering in this world. Jesus was truthful and he was honest with us, maybe even brutally so, because he said that suffering cannot be avoided in life. Whether it is suffering and persecution because you believe in him or if it's because of the suffering in those examples that I've just mentioned earlier. In fact, in John 16.33, he starts off by saying, you will have suffering in this world. He didn't say you might have it. He said it is going to happen. But when it happens, do you truly believe that God is good? Do you truly believe that God intends good to come out of those things that others have intended for evil or for your harm? And today, that is what we are going to be dealing with. We're going to be going into the Word. We're going to be finding out what God says about this particular question. And what we're going to address are the fundamental truths regarding these questions. We're going to get to the heart of the issue so that once you've been through what the Word says, amen, that you can believe that God is good and that He is working behind the scenes for your good because that is what God is doing all the time, working when we can't see it, working when we, when we don't even believe it, working behind the scenes when we're going through the toughest situations in our lives. And my sermon today is titled BTS, Behind the Scenes. Lee Strobel, a Christian author and apologist, wrote an article that addresses the question, 
If God is good, why is there suffering in this world? He mentioned that the first thing we need to do is to make and to make peace with when contemplating this question is to understand that there will always be unknowns in this world. In other words, part of the answer to that question is simply this. I don't know. And why did he say that? Simply because we cannot stand in the shoes of God and give a complete answer to the question as human beings here on earth. We don't have God's mind. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we can't even comprehend everything in the past, in the present, and in the future, and how everything interplays together and impacts each other. We don't see things from God's perspective or with God's eyes. We only see a limited, finite, even foggy view of things. 1 Corinthians 30, 12 puts it like this. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. So when you ask about specific individual events and want to know why this particular things happened, my personal examples, why did my 22-year-old friend whom I met at work die within the, a year after she got married? Why did my cousin at 12 years old who was born perfectly healthy suddenly get cerebral palsy and she was an invalid all the days until she died when she was about 29? Why did my parents both get cancer? Why did my mom have to have both of her breasts removed? Why did my dad have cancer? But through it all, I want you to know that even though there were unanswered questions, the I don't know was pretty big. You know, but even in that time, I didn't need a theological response to what I was going through. What I needed was the comforting presence of the Lord to get through that. And very often, the people who are grieving and who have been impacted by these tragedies that happen in life, they don't need a theological response. They don't need a thesis on why God allowed bad things to happen. What they need is someone to pray for the Lord to comfort them. They need someone who's just simply going to be there and support them. They need to know that Jesus is there for them and is going to carry him through that. And they need to know that even though there are no complete answers right now, that they can trust in the Lord. In Jesus' name, even when they don't know the answers. So even though we can't understand everything about it, there are some things that we can understand that will help us today to deal with this question. Before you can believe without a shadow of a doubt that God is good and that he is working behind the scenes for your good, you must understand that God is not the creator of evil and suffering. So many times people don't believe that God is good. They believe he is a God who just wants to punish you like he's sitting on a seat waiting for you to mess up so that he can hit you with that lightning rod. God is not Zeus, 
Okay? God is not like the Greek and the Roman gods who were watching people from afar, waiting for them to fall and messing with their lives. That is not our God. That is a false representation of who God is. That is based in something ungodly and human-made. That, that Greek and Roman mythology of how gods use people as puppets and as playthings, that is not God the Father. You need to deal with that way of thinking in your life. God is not some old man with a long beard, with a cane or a lightning rod in his hand waiting to punish you. That is not our God. When you look at the life of Jesus, he loved people. He healed people. He had compassion of, on them. When he saw a mother who had lost a son, he raised that son back to life because it's like, oh, this mom's suffering touched his heart. When you know how Jesus is, when you read in the Gospels how he was, you know what? Once you see that Jesus, that is who God is. Because that's what Jesus told his disciples and he told us in his word. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And if you have seen Jesus' heart, you have seen the heart of the Father. So dispel the myth that God is the creator of evil and suffering because he is not the creator of evil and suffering. But still people will ask, so why didn't God just create a world where tragedy and suffering didn't exist? Go read Genesis 1. He did. He did create a world where tragedy and suffering and death and pain and tears didn't exist at all. He looked at the world and everything he created was good. That is what God created. So if God is not the author of tragedy or evil or death, where did it come from? Now we need to understand more things about the nature of God. 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love. Not that God just loves us. He is the epitome of what the ultimate love is. So when God decided to create human beings, he obviously wanted us to experience this love. But to give us the ability to love, God had to give us free will. So that we could decide whether to love or not to love. And this is important. Why did he give us free will? Because love is always and will always involve a choice. Love always involves a choice. If you are programmed to say, I love you, it's not love. Imagine a little girl playing with a pretty little doll and this doll has a little string at the back and you pull the string and the doll says, I love you. But does this doll really love the girl? Of course not. It's just programmed to say those words. To really experience love, that doll must be able to be free to choose to love this girl or not. Again, real love always involves a choice. Real love is not forcefully controlling a person against their will. Real love is not selfish. It is not rude. It is not abusive. It is not manipulative. Be careful of those kinds of relationships. And I'm not only talking about marriage. I'm talking about friendships. I'm talking about maybe if you found a girlfriend or a boyfriend and, and you're going out to them and you're seeing this kind of behavior. Those are warning signs 
if they are telling you that's love, but they're treating you in an abusive, manipulative, controlling, rude, and selfish manner. If they are constantly demeaning you, constantly, you know, limiting you and being so super jealous that you can't even be yourself, you, those are warning bells. You need to get out of those relationships. You need to go get help if you are in that situation. If it has messed with your mind, you need to go get counseling in the name of Jesus. Go to the police if you need to, if it's become that abusive. But you need to get out and you need to get healed. Hallelujah. Don't stay in unhealthy relationships and people are calling it love. Because that's not the love the way God intended it to be. God gave us free will to decide whether to love or not to love. Because love always involves a choice. If they're taking the choice away from you, that's not love. So we have free will so that we can experience love as God intended. He doesn't want puppets. Amen. Love comes from the heart. And what did we do with that love and that free will? We rejected it as mankind. When Adam and Eve fell and sin entered the world, it was because they rejected God. And we are the same. Before you were born again, we rejected God. We didn't want anything to do with Him. We sinned willfully, doing stuff that we knew was wrong. And we walked away from God because we chose the bad instead of choosing God. And that has resulted in the introduction of two kinds of evil in this world. There's moral evil and there's natural evil. Moral evil, just to say simply, is sin. The sin that we choose to do, living an immoral life, choosing to do the things contrary to the word of God and not pleasing the Lord in the way that we live. So moral evil is the immorality, pain and suffering and tragedy that come because we choose to be selfish, arrogant, uncaring, hateful and abusive. And there are many of us here who've been hurt, Amen. we've been wounded. We've maybe suffered because of a parent, a spouse, a close friend who turned on us, a manager, a leader, a stranger, somebody who chose to do something immoral and evil. Maybe we were the ones who did something immoral or something evil. And either we or others are now suffering from the consequences of those actions. So a lot of the world's suffering results from the sinful action or inaction of ourselves and others. I want to give a common example. If you look at famine in the world, people will look at that and they'll say, where is God? Why is he allowing this famine to happen? But did you know that the world produces enough food for each person to have 3,000 calories a day? It's our own responsibility as global citizens, right, that to actually help. But because of our own irresponsibility and self-centeredness, that is what's actually preventing these people who are in facing the famine from being fed. In other words, look at your hand. You can choose to use that hand to hold a gun and shoot someone, or you can use it to feed hungry people. It's your choice. But it's unfair to shoot somebody because that's the choice you made. And then you blame God for the existence of evil and suffering. The second kind of evil is called natural evil. And these are things like wildfires. And we see that happening in, in Greece. 
You know, there's those floods that were happening in Germany. Um, there's earthquakes, tornadoes, there's hurricanes, and it causes suffering for people. But these two are an indirect result of sin being allowed into the world. As one author explained, when we humans told God to shove off, in other words, when we rejected him, he partially honored our request. Nature began to revolt. The earth was cursed. Go read it in Genesis. Genetic breakdown and disease began. Pain and death became part of the human experience. Understand that rejecting the Lord opens doors for evil to come in. Rejecting the Lord opens the door for the enemy to come in and attack you. It opens the door for you to fall into the temptation of sin. Listening to the voice of the enemy or to our own voice opens the door for evil to affect us. God told the Israelites something very important. And this applies to every believer. And this is found in Deuteronomy 30 verses 15, 16 and 19. He said this, listen closely. I've set before you today life and prosperity, which is good. And death and adversity, which is evil. And how did God set that before them? He told them, he's commanding them today to love the Lord because that's good. That leads to life and prosperity, to walk and to live every day in his ways, to keep his word, to keep his commandments. Right? Then in verse 19 he says, I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Therefore you shall choose life in order that you may live. Again, free will. Because love always involves a choice. God laid it out before mankind. He's laid it out before us and he's asking you today to choose life. And I want to say the same thing. Don't reject the Lord. Choose him. Choose to love him. Choose to follow him. Choose to obey him. And you will be blessed. You will experience abundant life. And should bad things happen. Because none of us can escape suffering. Understand that God is not the creator of evil and suffering. Before you can be fully persuaded that God is working behind the scenes on your behalf, you must understand that though suffering isn't good, God can use it to accomplish good. Amen. I'm so grateful that God can use every painful, hurtful, um, horrible thing that has happened in my life and in your life and that he can still cause good to come out of it. That is something only God can do. Hallelujah. As we did in Romans 8.28, this is the promise that all things will work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Again, I want to say, notice that this verse doesn't say that God causes evil and suffering. It just promises that good will emerge from it. Hallelujah. In other words, God is promising to work behind the scenes for your good. And the other thing that this verse doesn't say is that you're going to see it immediately. Maybe you won't even see it in your life. Maybe your children or your grandchildren will see it. But in the, at the end of the day, God is still going to cause good to emerge from a bad circumstance. Remember again that we only see things dimly in this world. 
And the other thing about this promise is that God doesn't make it to everyone. He makes the solemn pledge to those who follow him. He makes the solemn pledge to bring good out of it if you remain committed to him. He will turn the bad circumstances around that befall us if we keep on hoping in him and trusting in him and following him and his plan for our lives. And there's a, a story that, that symbolizes or epitomizes really everything that I'm trying to say this morning. But when you think of the story of Joseph in the Bible, right? He was the second youngest son. He had a dream that he would be ruler over all. His brothers did not like it at all. And they actually ended up really hating him. And they wanted to murder him. So what happened to Joseph was he was kidnapped, almost murdered by his own family. He was sold into slavery. He was falsely accused of rape and thrown into prison unjustly. He was forgotten in prison by those whom he helped. So he suffered and he went through many, 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 many troubles from being a young man into being an adult. It wasn't just a short period of time. But listen to this. He told his brothers in Genesis 50, 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And like Joseph, when we've looked back on his life, but we see how good came out of it. Even Joseph saw it. In the same way, I want you right now to remember the times in your life where you experienced God's protection, his care, his provision, his love, his grace, his compassion, his mercy. Perhaps it was in the aftermath of a bad business deal, of something that just didn't work out, of a failure that you went through and it really just hurt you. Maybe it's in the aftermath of a serious illness, a near accident, a troubled relationship, or a difficult time in your life. Though you might not have known it then, and maybe you're still facing it and you feel you don't know it now, I want you to know that you will still see that Almighty God, El Shaddai, He was a refuge for you and that He is a refuge for you even now. When you look back, you will see how God sustained you. You will see how God fed you. You will see how He protected you and how He carried you. Amen. I want you to understand that God will always work behind the scenes even when you can't see it and even when you can't feel it in Jesus' almighty name. And when you look back at what God has brought you through, you can see how he brought good out of a bad situation. If you are committed to the Lord, he promises that he can and that he will take whatever pain you are experiencing and he will draw something good from it. So take heart today in Jesus' almighty name. Amen. I want you to know that God's good intentions for you will override the evil intentions of others. God's good intentions for you, it will overwhelm, overpower, and overcome the evil intentions of others. Weapons might be formed, but they will not prosper. 
The enemy might gather, but I want you to know that enemy is going to fall for your sake in Jesus' name. The enemy might come out to fight against you, but the battle is the Lord's. And he will save you in Jesus' name. No matter how tough life is, no power in heaven or earth can thwart God's plans for you as long as you follow him. Amen. Nothing can prevent God from carrying out his plans in your life. Nothing can stop God from pouring out his blessings on those who belong to him. Take heart today in Jesus' name. Yes, there will be pain. There will be confusion. There will be struggle. There will be difficulty. But God can use even these things to bless you as long as you trust in him. Decide today to trust in the Lord. Amen. Decide today to hold fast to him. No matter how bad things are going, hold fast to the Lord in Jesus' name, and he will work behind the scenes for your good in the name of Jesus. If you are doubting God's promise, if you are maybe doubting what I'm saying even right now, this is what a wise man once said. God took the very worst thing that has ever happened in the history of the universe, which is side or the death of Jesus on the cross, And he turned it into the very best thing that has happened in the history of the universe. The opening up of heaven to all who follow him. So if God can take the very worst circumstance imaginable and turn it into the very best situation possible, can he not take the negative circumstances of your life and create something good from them? I want you to know he can and he will in the name of Jesus. God can use our suffering to draw us to himself, to mold and to sharpen our character, to influence others for him. He will draw something good from our pain in a myriad of ways if we trust and we follow him. Hallelujah. To deal with your doubts, And to believe that God is working behind the scenes for your good, you must understand that you decide whether to turn bitter or to turn to God for peace and courage. And this is so important because I'm sure you've all seen examples of how the same suffering can cause people to react in different ways. Or rather, people react differently to the same suffering. It's not the suffering that causes them to react. It's what they decide to do and their actions while they're suffering. That, that is the reason behind why they are the way they are. So the same suffering could cause one person to turn to God. But on the other hand, it could cause someone else to turn bitter. It could cause someone else to reject God. It can cause someone else to become hard and angry and sullen. While the other person, their heart will be softened. They'll be more compassionate and gentle towards others. They'll reach out to others going through the same suffering and help them through it. There's a philosopher that said, I believe all suffering is at least potential good. It's an opportunity for good. 
It's up to our free choice to actualize that potential. Not all of us benefit from suffering and learn from it. Because that's up to us. It's up to our free will. You choose whether to turn bitter during times of suffering or whether you will turn to God for peace and courage. And can I say it? And I know I say it all the time. And I will continue to say it because this needs to hit home. When things go wrong, run to God in the name of Jesus. Don't run away from Him. Run to Him in Jesus' name. In John 16, 33, and I'm going to read the full verse now, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble and suffering, but take courage, I have conquered the world. So Jesus offers us two things that we need when we are hurting. Peace to deal with our present and courage to deal with our future. And how does he do it? Because he has conquered the world already. Through his own suffering and death, he, will, he has deprived this world of its ultimate power over you. Suffering doesn't have the last say anymore. Death doesn't have the last word anymore. God has the last word. Hallelujah. If it is not good, it is not the end. A wise man once said, God's ultimate answer to suffering isn't an explanation. It's the incarnation. Suffering is a personal problem. It demands a personal response. And God is not some distant, detached, and disinterested deity. He entered into our world and personally experienced our pain. Jesus is there in the lowest and most difficult places of our lives. Are you broken today? Jesus was broken like bread for us. Are you despised by people? Jesus was despised and rejected of men. Do you cry out that you can't take it anymore? Jesus himself was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Has someone betrayed you? Jesus was sold out by someone he held dear. Are your most tender relationships broken? Jesus loved and yet he was still rejected. Did people turn from you? In Jesus' case, they hid their faces from him as if he were a leper. Does Jesus descend into all of our hells? Yes. Yes, he does. He descends right down into your deepest depression, into your darkest dark moment. Jesus is there with you. From the depths of a Nazi camp, Corrie ten Boom wrote these words, No matter how deep our darkness, he is deeper still. Amen. Amen. It's not just that God knows and sympathizes with you in your troubles. Any close friend can do that. Any close friend can come and they can sit with you and they can, you know, support you in that way. But Jesus is so much closer than your closest friend because if you put your trust in him, he's not just with you, he's not just near you, but he is in you. And therefore, your sufferings are his sufferings. Your sorrow is his sorrow. So when tragedy strikes, as it will, when suffering comes, as it will, when you're wrestling with pain, as you will, and when you make the choice to run into your arms, 
This is what you are going to discover. You're going to find peace to deal with your present. Amen. Amen. You're going to find courage to deal with your future. And you're going to find the incredible promise of eternal life in heaven. Amen. When you know that God is working behind the scenes, turning things around for your good, you understand that the day is coming when suffering will cease and God will judge evil. There's a question people also ask. If God has the power to eradicate evil and suffering, then why doesn't he just do it now? Can I tell you? Just because God hasn't done it yet doesn't mean he won't do it. What if you read a book, right? Awesome book. But you only read it halfway. You slam the book shut. You're all upset and you're like, this author didn't even finish the story. The characters aren't developed. The plot, I don't even know what's going on. For some, If someone else had read the book, even the author, they would say, but dude, you didn't even read the book. You didn't even finish the book. You only got halfway. And you know what? The Bible says that the story of this world isn't over yet, no matter how much we would like to close the chapter on this world, okay? It is not over yet. The Word says that the day will come when sickness and pain will be eradicated, where, and where people will be held accountable for the evil that they've committed. Justice will be served in a perfect way, but it's on judgment day, and that's not today, okay? The day will come, but not yet. And very interestingly, in Psalm 73, it was written by Asaph, right? And he was looking at the wicked. And he was looking at these evil people who were living an easy life, and they were prospering in their way, and things were just going their way, even though they rejected God, and they mocked God, and they scorned God. And he looked at their prosperity and their easy life, and he was envious of them. And in Psalm 73, Asaph asks himself if he had chosen a righteous life for nothing. Like, why am I following God and doing the right things, but I'm suffering more than the wicked are suffering? Why are the wicked, the wicked doing better than me? Well, I'm here and I'm afflicted. And it actually said he felt bitter about the situation. But in verse 16 and 17, he has a revelation and he writes this. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. In verse 27, he writes, those who are far from you will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. He ends the psalm by saying, but as for me, right? So he was talking about the wicked and he understood what their destiny was actually going to be. That it was, you know, that he didn't really need to be bitter anymore. And then he says, but as for me, God's presence is my good. In the midst of all the bad and the evil that's going on, I'm not going to focus on that. God's presence is my good. That's where I need to be. I need to be in God's sanctuary because when things are bad and the wicked are prospering and the evil are, are getting things right and I'm afflicted and suffering, I'm not going to be bitter. I'm going to go into God's sanctuary because God's presence is my good. My situation might not be good, but God's presence is my good. I don't need the situation to be good before I understand this principle that when things 
are bad and things are broken and things are going crazy. It is God's presence in the midst of it that is my good. Amen. My good is not determined by the external things. It is determined by the presence of the Lord in my life. He says, I have made the Lord God my refuge so I can tell about all you do. So when you are caught up in how the bad guys are prospering without a care, and I know we can look at our country and you get that frustration and that anger that rises up within you and you're like, but Lord, we serve you. Where's our blessings? Lord, we serve you. Why are the doors not opening? Lord, we are serving and loving and following you. Why are things not working out for us? Can I tell you, don't fix your eyes on the wicked. Don't fix your eyes on what looks like there are no consequences. The day is coming where God will judge evil and he will judge all the deeds that have been done. It is coming. What you need to do when you feel bitter is you need to stay in God's presence because God's presence is your good. In Jesus' name, you need to focus on the Lord. Amen? Amen. Then you will understand that one day those wicked people are going to be judged. In Jesus' name. And you can let go of those bitterness. So what's holding God up from judging evil? One answer is that he is giving people time to be saved from eternal damnation. And that's again why God is God and we are not God. Okay? <laughs> that's why we need to tell people about Jesus even more. That's why we need to focus on God's presence. We need to get God's heart. We need to be praying for our enemies like David did and like Jesus instructed us. Amen? We need to be telling people about the love and the power of Jesus Christ. We need to share Jesus. We need to get an urgency in our spirit because I don't know about you, but especially with this pandemic, there are so many more people who I can see need Jesus. They all ask you these questions that I'm ministering on today and they need Jesus and you look at them and you can see how a real relationship with God will totally change their lives. And that's why we are here right now. That yes, we might see the wrong that's going on, but our focus is on the Lord. We need to have a heart for the unsaved. Every believer, whatever your age is, however long or short you've been saved, you need to go out. You need to tell people about Jesus. You need to go make disciples so that they can be strong in their faith and in turn get people saved and win souls for the Lord as well. Amen. We need that urgency in Jesus' name. God is actually delaying the consummation of history in anticipation that those who don't know him will trust in him and spend eternity in heaven. He's delaying everything out of his love for mankind. Amen. Thank the Lord it's not based on our love for mankind. <laughs> it's based on his love for mankind. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That is God's heart. That's one of the reasons why he's delaying judgment. And we need that kind of heart. We're so quick to say, hey, Lord, judge this person and get it over with, you know. But how many times has God shown you grace when you fall? How many times have you been grateful for his mercy, for his forgiveness, and for his love? Now, can you imagine when a sinner, a bad guy, gets that same chance at redemption. How can we rob him of that moment? Amen. That's why we need to have God's heart and pray for souls to be saved. And right now, if you have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God is waiting for you. Believe in him today. 
call on his name, he will come and save you. If you are a backslider, God is waiting for you. Return to the Lord with all your heart. He will heal your backsliding ways. Receiving Christ is as simple as A, B, C. A, admit that you have sinned. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. B, believe that Jesus Christ died for you. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then see, confess that Jesus is Lord of your life. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you are sincere today, and I want you to know God has been waiting for you, he's been waiting for this moment, and you say, I want Jesus to be Lord of my life, let's pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, I admit I am a sinner. I need forgiveness. I am sorry for my sins. I don't want to sin against you anymore. I believe you are the Son of God. And you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. So that I too may have victory over the grave. Please forgive me now, Lord, and cleanse me. Come into my heart and give me new life. Thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood for me and for hearing and answering my prayer. Write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Today, I am saved. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. If you have said that prayer, I want you to know a couple of things. Number one, spend time getting to know the Lord. How do you do that? Very simply, get a praise and worship list. They're available everywhere, Spotify, YouTube, wherever it is. Get your praise and worship list. Get your praise and worship list. Praise the Lord. Worship the Lord. Get a quiet time book or a book that helps you to understand the Word of God and helps you, uh, you know, just to understand who He is. Do one a day. And then you pray, which is simply talking to the Lord, pouring out your heart before Him. And then listen to what He has to say. Amen. And then don't be shy to tell other people about what God has done for you. Very importantly as well is you're not a solo person. You are part of the body of Christ, which means we gather together. It's crucial for your spiritual growth to be part of a Holy Spirit-filled, Word-based church. If you don't have a church... Come to God's way, church. Amen. But you need to be part of a community of believers because that is how we were made to function. Jesus is the head. We are the body. You're not a thumb or a pinky finger on your own. You need to be part of the body to remain healthy. Hallelujah. And lastly, I want to share the last point with you. When you have faith that God is working behind the scenes, you understand that your suffering will pale in comparison to what God has in store for you. I certainly do not want to minimize your pain. I don't want to minimize your suffering at all. However, it helps if we take a long-term perspective. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4.17, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It's the same Paul when he wrote this verse who had 
been stuck on his back, his back been shredded because he was whipped 39 times. That happened to him five times. Five times, 39 times, he was whipped, his back been shredded. Three times he was beaten to a bloody pulp by rods. Imagine someone taking a rod and beating you until you were be bleeding and bruised and broken. Paul was imprisoned often. He was shipwrecked. He was in famines often, as they say. He was persecuted. He had many sleepless nights. He suffered lack as well. But he still said, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And then he writes in Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We cannot deny the difficulties we face now. They are bad and they are difficult. And we still need to put them in context. We need to put them in the light of God's great mercy, of His grace, of His goodness, of His healing and His restorative power that He will pour out on us. And as we look back over the years, I want you to know, you might not see it now, but I want you to know that as you look back over the years, the bad days that you are experiencing and have experienced, they won't even be worth comparing with the blessings and joy that you will experience in Christ. I want you to know God makes the bitter things sweet. Amen. God's going to make the bitter things sweet. Someone needs to hear this today. I don't, this isn't even in my sermon, but God is going to make the bitter things sweet for you in Jesus Almighty. And don't give up. Hallelujah. Do you know that your suffering will end up revealing God's glory? In other words, God will be glorified even through your suffering. So if you're going through a tough time right now, ask God to reveal His glory. Ask God to show you how His glory will be revealed in you. Can I tell you now, the problem is not supposed to be glorified. The pain, it's not supposed to be glorified. The anxiety and the fear, those things are not supposed to be glorified. The anger, it's not supposed to be glorified. The doubt must not be glorified. Only God must be glorified. Amen. His glory is supposed to be revealed in you. Even when you are suffering and facing troubles. So consider that your present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in you. We need to look at life in the light of eternity in every situation. We have about, say, 80 years on earth, 70, 80 years, right? As we know it today. And in comparison to these 70 or 80 years that we have on earth, once we are with the Lord in eternity forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and you're going to be in a new heaven and a new earth and God's going to be the light and we're never going to be separated from Him physically anymore. You know there's going to be no pain. There's going to be no death. There's going to be no sickness. There's going to be no tears. There's going to be no suffering. There's going to be no lack. When you look back on that 70 or 80 years, it's going to pale in comparison to the blessing and, the, and just the, the amazing presence of God that we will experience in eternity. Child of God, understand you're going to have an eternity of pure joy and bliss. The years on our current earth and the troubles that we currently experience, we're probably going to even forget about it. There's a British church leader, Calvin Reed, he's a pastor, 
And he met a young 17-year-old. And, and this 17-year-old had fallen down a flight of stairs when he was very young. And his back had been shattered. So he'd been in and out of hospitals his whole life. But he made this astounding statement. He said, God is fair. So Reed asks him, how old are you? He says, 17. And Reed asks, how many years have you spent in hospitals? The boy said, 13 years. 13 years of 17 years of life he'd been in and out of hospital, probably paralyzed with that shattered back of his. So the pastor said with astonishment, and you think that's fair? And the boy replied, well, God has all eternity to make it up to me. Amen. Let us have the same attitude to the Lord as this little boy. Even though most of his life was pain and suffering, he still said God is fair because he saw his life in the light of eternity. God has all eternity to make it up to you in Jesus Almighty name. Remember what I said? Sometimes the good that's going to come, we might not see it in our lifetime, but you're definitely going to see it in eternity. Hallelujah. So in conclusion, even though right now you and I cannot understand every single detail about why bad things happen in this world, we might not even have the full explanation, but there are things that we do understand. We understand that God is not the creator of evil and suffering. We live in a fallen world with fallen people and because of that, there is suffering and death. We understand that though suffering isn't good, God can use it to accomplish good. We understand that we decide whether to turn bitter or turn to God for peace and courage. We understand that the day is coming when suffering will end and God will judge evil. We understand that our suffering will pale in comparison to what God has in store for us if we believe in Him. So believe that God is good today. Believe that whatever has been intended for your evil or for your harm, God intends good to come of it in Jesus' name. Believe that God will cause everything to work together for your good. Let us pray. Lord, you are good and you do good. Father, we've, we've heard so many things, Father God, that we've been taught today. Plant it in our hearts. In the name of Jesus, give us peace today, Father. Lord, we believe that you will cause everything to work together for our good. In Jesus' name, Father God, we choose to trust in you. Even when there are unanswered questions, Father God, Lord, we firmly believe that you are not the creator of evil and suffering. You are good, Father God. And we believe that you will accomplish good even out of bad circumstances. Right now, Father God, come and override the harmful intentions and the evil intentions of the enemy and of others, Father. Come and override it and bring good out of this situations in the name of Jesus. God, we decide in our hearts we will not turn bitter, my God, but we will turn to you. Give us peace, Father, to face the present and courage to deal with the future in Jesus' name. Thank you for the assurance that one day, Father God, there will be no suffering and no pain and no more tears and no more death, my God. So we will hope, Father God, in you. We thank you, God, that you indeed will judge evil one day. But in the meantime, give us your heart for the lost, Father God. Stir up within us that desire to win souls in the name of Jesus. 
Father, we know that our present suffering will pale in comparison with the joy that we will experience when we are with you, Father God. In Jesus' name, let us live our life in the light of eternity. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.